If you would take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke chapter 11. We've been in Luke 11 for a few weeks now and uh, we're going to wrap up the chapter uh, this morning. So Luke chapter 11. Um, One of the blessings of being a father is to have children that are honest with you. Um, We can be blind to things. Very often we don't know what's going on. And, and children are, are brutally honest very often, you know. If your breath stinks in the morning, your kids will tell you. And um, if they think your shirt looks goofy, they'll let you know. My kids aren't even teenagers. I can't imagine what that's like. Um, and, and they don't do it to be mean. They just help you see things that maybe you're missing. Um, as much as it hurts, though, it's good to be told about what you're blind about, isn't it? Because imagine, imagine being blind and not knowing that you were blind. Can you imagine that? Thinking that that you had sight. Having no sight, but walking around as if you saw clearly. Um, And then imagine someone comes to you and says, I don't think you can see anything. I think that you are blind. And you say, no, I'm not. I can see very clearly. If if you lived in that kind of deceptive mindset, very quickly, you know what would happen? Uh, you would at least get hurt, and no doubt it would probably eventually lead to your death. You'd walk out in front of a car, you'd walk off some cliff, you'd do something foolish, because you think that you can see, but in actuality, you are blind. Now, Jesus has just told us in in Luke 11, he said this this thing in, in, in Luke 11, verse 35, Therefore be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. It says we need to watch out, be careful that what you think in you is light, it might be darkness. You, you think that you can see, but you might actually be blind and not even know it. The, the, what, what Luke is going to do through the words of Jesus now is show us an example of a group of people who thought that they had light in them, but in actuality they were filled with darkness. They were filled with religious hypocrisy. It's kind of a big thing we're going to talk about this morning. Religious hypocrisy. And I think what, what Jesus is saying to us is religious hypocrisy produces a spiritual blindness that will destroy us. This is a strong passage. This isn't uh, for, the, for the weak of heart. So I invite you to, to, to get ready. Uh, for some some tough words. Religious hypocrisy produces a spiritual blindness that will destroy us. Jesus is going to say at the beginning of chapter 12 that the leaven of the Pharisees, the issue of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. What, what, what is that? He says they were hypocrites. A hypocrite is the word that we... That, it's a word that means an actor. Uh, it's someone who pretends to be something that they're not. And so a religious hypocrite is someone who looks religious, who looks like a follower of God, but in actuality is not. They're just an actor. They're just pretending to be something that they're really not. And as we look at this passage, he's going to bring out the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known as hypocrites. I mean, if there was an Oscar for best actor in a religious role, the Pharisees would win every year. I mean, they just, why, there's no competition. They win all the time. But you know, we can be pretty good actors too, can't we? I and mean, we can try to look 
religious as well. Jesus' words are, are not just for the Pharisees, for the experts of the law. They are for us. Because, you know what, those of us that decided to come to church today, um, those of us that maybe are even members of a church, religious hypocrisy, spiritual blindness, that's more of a danger for us than the guy who's still sleeping. Because we're here trying to be religious. And, but what if in actuality all our religious activity, it's just blindness? We think it's light, but it's actually darkness. That's what Jesus is going to address. And my, my hope this morning is that, that God's word would, would be like a mirror to us. Just, just like you know, kids can be honest with you and people need to tell you things that you can't see. That, that God's word is said in James to be like a mirror. That, that we look in the mirror and we can see where we're where we're, we're we're messing up where we're you know if you look in the mirror in the morning and you say wow my hair is all over the place or i need to wash my face or something like that and and james says you, when you look in the in the mirror of god's word be careful that you don't look in it and then walk away and not do anything about it so we're going to hold up god's word as a mirror to say is there religious hypocrisy in me and then my hope is that we would not just hear the word but that we would do it. And so we're going to hold this up, this idea that religious hypocrisy produces a spiritual blindness that will destroy us. And I want us to just ask, ask, is this me? Am I an actor? Am I blind in some facet of my life? But let's read these words in Luke 11. And I'm going to begin in verse 37 and read through the end of the chapter. It says in verse 37, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also! (laughs) For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Pretty strong words, aren't they? 
Let, let's just look. Let me just point out the structure of the passage before we kind of dive into trying to understand it. If you, it's probably broken down in some to some paragraphs in your in your Bible. If not, I'll tell you kind of where we're going to break it up. The the scene is set in the beginning, um, and Jesus responds to the Pharisees' astonishment with sort with sort of a general teaching about inside and outside and, and what really matters. And then there's there's a there's two series of three woes. These these warnings. Be careful. There's danger in this. Um, there's judgment in this. So the first three are against the Pharisees, and then there's this kind of interruption from the lawyers, and then there's three more from Jesus that, that are directed towards the lawyers. And then um, we see the response of the Pharisees. So that's kind of the breakdown. You see that in the passage there. Hopefully that's that's clear, and that's how we're going to try to walk through it. So the, the teaching of Jesus is the focus, but the scene is set in verses 37 and 38. So the teaching is springing from this this scene, and the scene is Jesus' lunch with the Pharisee. Uh, the... The, the word to dine there, it's, it's probably not a, a dinner meal, it's, it's more of a lunch. So Jesus is having lunch with this Pharisee. Of course, I'm not sure how much they ate. Um, Jesus seems to, to do a lot of talking. And in fact, there's, a, um, there's an issue that rises up probably before they even picked up their sandwiches. Um, because what's, what's the Pharisee's issue? Do you see it there? The Pharisee was astonished. Why? To see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now the issue isn't uh, one of germs. Jesus is not modeling for us that you don't need to wash your hands before you eat. Um, so children, when your parents say to wash up, you should listen to them. And I encourage all of us this afternoon before you have lunch, you should wash your hands. Um, you've been at church shaking hands, you should wash them, you know. But as you wash your hands this afternoon, I'd encourage you to say, as you do this, maybe in your head, maybe you could say it out loud if you want, you could say, my clean hands don't make me acceptable before God. Because that's what the Pharisees thought. They thought that in washing their hands, they were becoming clean before God. You see, the Old Testament is filled with stipulations for, for cleanliness. Outer cleanliness reflects the holiness of God in the Old Testament. So the, the Pharisees couldn't eat, or the Israelites were not allowed to eat certain foods. Because those foods would make them unclean. They needed to practice things certain ways to be, to be clean. And it was to reflect that they were the holy pure, clean people of God. And the Pharisees saw all these laws and they decided, well, cleanliness in a few things is good, so cleanliness in everything has to be great. And so they took the laws of the Old Testament and they decided, well, let's build some things on top of this. Let's make ourselves really clean and we'll add all these things to the law. And so that's what these washings are. We saw that in Mark 7, that they, they, they had laws about everything. It wasn't just the Old Testament law. They, they started stacking things about how you need to wash your hands, how you need to wash pots and pans, how you need to wash, wash couches and the way you sit and all these things that they added on top of it. They were the originators of the saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. Except you know what they said? Cleanliness is godliness. If we are clean before God in these different ways, then therefore we are godly. So they, they build all these things. And we're going to talk about the lawyers, the experts in the law. They, they were the ones that built these standards that, and said that they were equal to the revealed word of God. So when Jesus comes to this Pharisee's house... The Pharisee is astonished because Jesus, who claims to be a rabbi, who claims to be a teacher in Israel, who claims to be a prophet, doesn't listen to the tradition of the elders, doesn't wash his hands. And he did not wash his hands because he forgot. 
He didn't sit down and say, whoops, forgot to wash my hands. This was a calculated move by Jesus to expose the hypocrisy of this Pharisee. It was no accident. And he takes the opportunity of the, when this Pharisee is astonished and he uses it to reveal the hypocrisy that is in this man's heart, that is in the heart of the Pharisees and may be in the heart of us. And he does it through these six Woes, But before that, there's kind of a general teaching in verses 39 through 41. So here's how I want to think about this. We're going to, we're going to get into the six woes, okay? But I don't want us to miss the big picture, because I think there's, there's kind of some big things that Jesus is saying. So let me give you two big things that Jesus is saying before we get into the details, okay? So one is that hypocrisy disregards inner purity. Hypocrisy disregards inner purity, And the second big idea is hypocrisy deters others from salvation. So so two two D's there. Hypocrisy disregards inner purity and it deters others from salvation. The deterring others from salvation is clear in his woes against the lawyers. He's saying, you're creating these standards and in actuality you're not helping people into the kingdom. You're keeping them out of the kingdom. You're causing them to miss the truth of God by doing all this. What a terrible condemnation on them. But this idea of inner purity flows through the whole passage. And he, he, he illustrates from their own, their own laws, doesn't he? You guys, he says, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish. But inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. Imagine a cup that's sparkling clean. It's beautiful on the outside. And you pick it up and look inside and it's, it's filled with, with dirt. It's filled with old, it's, it's got maggots crawling in it. It's disgusting. This, this old bowl that's, you know, five-day-old cereal milk in it, and it's, it's molding, and that, he says, that's what you guys are like. The outside looks beautiful, but inside, you're rotten. You're filled with disgusting things. So that, that's a pretty harsh word, isn't it? Inside, you're full of greed. He says, you guys are fools. You're so concerned about the outside, but didn't God make the inside too? Remember what Jesus is always aiming for. What's Jesus always going for? Always going for the heart. Jesus could care less about the outside. He wants our heart. And he says, listen guys, you're so focused on the outside that you're missing the heart. God doesn't want hollow obedience. He wants heart obedience. Obedience. He wants us to serve Him from the heart. He's not concerned with the cleanliness of our hands. He's concerned with the purity of our hearts. And that's really what He's going to drive at here. And we're going to keep coming back to that. So that's not all we're going to say about that. But just remember that it's, it's not about clean on the outside. It's not about outward religion. It's about what's in your heart. And so as we look at these woes, that's really what Jesus is trying to get at. How, what's in your heart? So these woes are going are gonna to hit us. Here's the idea. Let's, let's pretend you go to the doctor. You say, my stomach hurts. And the doctor pushes and says, does it hurt here? Does it hurt when I do this? Does it hurt when I do this? That's what these woes are going to be for us this morning, okay? So I'm just going to kind of, we're going to try to press in on me too and say, is this in me? It may be all seven that I'm going to give you. But it could be just one or two that you need to deal with. It may not be that you're trying to deal with. So we're going to give a lot of information. But there may be one or two that the Spirit of God is going to take and say, yep, that's me. That's me. And then we're going to try to summarize it at the end. So religious hypocrisy is going to make us blind. It's going to make us blind to certain things. And the first woe tells us that it makes us blind to what really matters in the eyes of God. 
Religious hypocrisy makes us blind to what really matters in the eyes of God. Remember this woe. Woe to you, Pharisees. You tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Tithing. It has to do with giving a tenth. It has to do, we know it often in our context of giving 10% of my income to something. But, but the, the Pharisees got into the minutia. They got into the details. And in doing so, they missed what really mattered. The Old Testament, the, the, the Pharisees applied the Old Testament law of tithing to herbs, and they went beyond what was necessary. And so they tithe their mint. Picture the Pharisee with his sprig of mint, and he takes a leaf. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and one for God. One, two, and that's what he's doing. And the picture here is of this Pharisee concentrating so much on his herbs. And so much on tithing these things and doing these things before God. And all around him are people suffering. Are people facing injustice. People suffering from hunger and homelessness. People who are oppressed and taken advantage of. And he's sitting there and he says, I'm holy, I'm holy, I'm holy, I'm holy. Because I'm tithing my mint. And all around him, people are laying on the side of the road. It's the picture of the Good Samaritan where there's someone in need. And the Pharisee's not concerned because he doesn't want to be unclean. And he walks by. Religious hypocrisy often just becomes distracting. It distracts us from what really matters to God. It sucks every moment of our lives. It's all we we think about. And in doing that, we miss all the needs that surround us that God really, truly cares about. Because what does He care about? He says, you tithe all these things, but you've neglected what? Justice and the love of God. You're neglecting the love for other people, doing justice, helping others who are oppressed. And you're neglecting loving me. This isn't love for me. This is outward observance. This is wasted. I'm reminded of what Jesus says to Martha. You remember Martha running around so busy. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're so concerned about so many things. Only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. And Jesus says, you're so concerned about tithing and you're missing what really matters. And in being concerned about washings and all of these things, you're missing justice and love for others. So what are the majors, I mean, what are the minors that you are majoring on and missing what God really cares about? What are the things that we do that we think make us religious when, or make us holy before God when in actuality, in doing those things, we're neglecting what God really cares about. We're neglecting love for God. We're neglecting love for others. But we feel holy because we do these things. Jesus is going to get deep, though, into our hearts with the next woe. And He exposes what's really there. And He tells us that we are blind to our spiritual pride, our greed, and our wickedness. We're not just blind to what really matters in the eyes of God, but we're blind to what's in us. We're blind to our spiritual pride and our greed and our wickedness. This woe, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. He says, here's what you guys like about religion. It makes you look good in front of other people. You love the praises of men. And what's he get at earlier? He says, inside, what are they full of? Greed and wickedness. You're so concerned about tithing your mint and you don't give to anyone. You don't care for anyone. You love money. Jesus is always getting on the Pharisees because they love money and they love sin. And in that, they're not loving God. Spiritual pride, that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Spiritual pride, it it wants to grab hold of all of our hearts. We, We like to look good in front of other people. 
We like to come to church and people think that, that we look good. We like to, to, to tell others of all the, the great things that we're doing for God. We like to tell them of the sins that we are avoiding. But so much of what we do as obedience to God can really just be a show. Even at church, maybe, even as a church. What if as a church, could we just be putting on a show? We just show up and we think, well, we want to look like we love God, but maybe we really don't. Maybe greed's found its way into your heart. And you found a way to make your greed religious like the Pharisees in Mark 7 did. I encourage you to look at that. This really reminds me of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, God brings this indictment against the people of Israel. And it's so similar to what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here. He talks about their sacrifices that they're bringing before Him. He says, When you come to appear before Me, who has required of you this trampling of My courts? They bring all their sacrifices and He says, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. This is God talking. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And he says, you think that you're bringing things before me and you think that you're pure. But you're not. You're filthy. And I don't want to listen to him anymore. And then he says this. Wash yourselves. It's this idea of purity and cleanliness again. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. How? By hand washings? No. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. How? Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Pharisees neglected all of that because they were so concerned about their spiritual pride and how they looked in front of others. That kind of blindness then culminates in the, in the third woe that he gives to the Pharisees, which leads religious hypocrisy makes us blind to our own uncleanness and death. We're blind to our own uncleanness and death. He says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. And people walk over them without knowing it. The sad irony for the Pharisees is that focusing on being clean, they, they missed the fact that in actuality they were dead, and so they were perpetually unclean. So in the Old Testament, contact with a dead body made you unclean for a period of time. And Jesus says, you are dead, and you're in contact with yourself always. And so you, no matter how many washings you do, no matter how much you tithe, you are perpetually unclean. And not only that, you're dead. There is no life in you. And everyone thought around them thought that they, were, that they were holy, that they were alive. But Jesus says they are dead on the inside. He says, in a sense, wash all you want, but you're dead and you can never make yourselves clean. And they're unmarked graves. They don't see it and no one else sees it. So Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy fails to see our inability before God to think that we can do all these things and we don't realize that we're dead. We think we can work hard to earn the favor of God, all the while not recognizing that apart from Jesus we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And unless Jesus enlivens us and resurrects us, we have no hope. The other way that we can be blind is we're blind to our need of this instruction, which I think is what the lawyers were, are representing in verse 45. They come and they think they're going to justify themselves. They say, teacher... You're offending us in this too. And Jesus, in a sense, says, that's the point. You know, I think sometimes we hear these things and we can be blind to our own need of the instruction. We think, 
wait a minute, this is hurting me, Jesus. I, I feel like this applies to me. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the point. It's supposed to apply to you. So let me just encourage you again. Don't, don't point the finger at someone else. Let's, let's examine our own hearts first. Let's remember that Jesus' words are for us now. You might be a religious hypocrite. I might be a religious hypocrite. So we're blind to our need of instruction. We're blind to, the, to our harshness towards others. This is interesting in verse 45. He starts, in verse 46, he starts talking to the lawyers. He says, Woe to you because you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Here's what I don't think it means. I don't think it means that the lawyers say people are supposed to do these things, and then they don't do them themselves. I think what it means is that the lawyers say to do these things and do these things and then tell everyone else that they need to do these things and they don't help them. It's interesting too because the Pharisees and the lawyers, they had built up all these laws and it was their full-time job to keep these laws. But they expected everyone else whose full-time job wasn't to keep these laws but was probably working and doing other things, they had to keep these laws as well. And the lawyers say, you need to do this and then they just walk away. They don't offer any help to them. They, 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 they lay these big burdens on them is the idea. They put this huge weight on them and then they won't help. That's what law looks like apart from grace. Law looks like a big, heavy burden. At Acts 15, the church is wrestling with how much of the Old Testament the New Testament Christians need to do. And, and Peter starts making an argument. He says... To put the stipulations of the law on people, to tell people they need to do these things of the law, is to, and these are his words, to place a yoke on their necks that neither we nor our fathers could keep. He says, you're taking a burden and you're putting it on people that that we haven't been able to do, that no one's been able to do, and now you're telling them that they need to do it. That's what religious hypocrites do. They like to put these laws on other people and then not help them at all. But Jesus, what does Jesus say when he talks about a yoke? He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and what? Heavy laden. You're burdened by all these things that you feel like you need to do. Come to me. I don't think it's just the cares of the world. I think it's this idea of having to please God by what we do. He says, come to me, if that's what you feel like. Because what? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not going to come and throw something on top of you and then walk away and tell you to do it yourself. Jesus is so unlike the Pharisees. What does Jesus do? Jesus actually comes, and what does he do with the yoke of the law? He takes it upon himself. And Jesus does the law. Jesus fulfills the law. He takes the burden of the law, and he completes it. He does what no one ever has been able to do. And then not only does he take the yoke of the law, but he takes the punishment of the law that's due to us because we haven't kept the law And He dies in our place. He takes our punishment for us. He knows that we are unable to keep the law, so He keeps it for us. And He knows that we can't bear the punishment due our sin because of our law-breaking, and so He bears it for us. Jesus does more than lift a finger, doesn't He? He's lifted up on a cross to die so that we can be made right with Him. And the result isn't that we try to please God with our outward ritualistic law observance then. But Acts, or Galatians 5.1 says, It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We who have been freed from the yoke of the law, don't put it back on. Christ has set you free from that. So don't become a religious hypocrite and try to build laws upon yourself and then make everyone else do it too. Because that's what we do. 
We, we know that Jesus has borne this burden for us, but we begin to pile up unnecessary demands on other people. We weigh them down, and then we don't want to help them. We're quick to see where other people fail, where we succeed. We fail to see that what might be easy for us, that could be a ten-ton load for someone else. Some people come to faith in Christ, and, and, and what you can do, what you say, you know, this is what God has called me, how I'm to live my life. You know, they've had years and years and years of a pattern of living. And you're saying you need to change overnight. We lay this burden on them. Boom. We don't help them at all. What does discipleship look like? Discipleship looks like saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Jesus doesn't say, he says we're not supposed to neglect these things, right? He says you should have done these things without neglecting the others. Don't neglect these things that God has called us to do. But don't throw it on people and then walk away. That if we're calling people to to walk with God, then we say, this is what it looks like to walk with and please God. Now let me help you. Let's walk this together. Hypocrites are harsh to other people. The next one is, we're, we're blind to our harshness towards others. We're blind to the way that we silence God's Word. Verse 47, this is I think the toughest one and I'll be honest, I'm not sure I get all the nuances of what he's saying here. But he says, you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. And then he lays the blood of all the prophets shed from the beginning of time till the present, Abel to Zechariah. He says, you will be charged with the blood of these prophets. The idea is that the Pharisees took the tombs of the prophets and they embellished them. They made them look beautiful. But literally, that's what they did. They had these tombs, and the Pharisees, in seeking to honor the prophets, tried to decorate them and make them look beautiful. And Jesus says, in actuality, in doing that, you're participating in what your fathers did. They killed the prophets, and you are doing the same thing as well. You're squelching the word of God. I think the idea, actually, if you think about the building up of these, of these tombs, is like what the Pharisees and the lawyers were doing in building up the law. You can build something up so much that you miss the core of what it is. And they had built all these external laws so much that they were causing people to not hear the true word of God. The prophets, were no one could hear them because there was so much stuff on top of the prophets that they were required to do that they never got to the heart of what the message was. Can't we do this as churches, as religious people? We build up so many things that we miss the heart of what God is telling us to do. Of course, this is a foreshadow, and I think of what these men ultimately do in killing Jesus. That they killed all the prophets. They, they didn't listen to John the Baptist, and they're going to kill Jesus himself. They're going to follow right in line with what their fathers had done. And religious hypocrisy, in doing that, we can actually kill the message of Jesus. We can miss the message of grace and of mercy. We can replace it with a gospel of self-improvement. We can replace it with something that's not true. We can blind. We can be blind to the way that we silence God's word. And then finally, we can be blind to the judgment of God. Blind to the judgment of God. Verse 52 is very striking. Woe to you, lawyers. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves. And you hindered those who were entering. Elsewhere, Jesus says that, that the Pharisees shut the door of the kingdom in the faces of other people. And so the picture here is that the lawyers take the door that would lead people to life in Christ. 
they slam it in people's faces, and then they have the keys to open it, and they take the keys away. And they won't let anyone in, and they won't go in either. That's what they were doing with the ministry of Jesus, wasn't it? We're not listening to this guy, and neither should you. And they hated him so much that they said, we not, we not, only are, not only are we not going to listen to him, but you can't listen to him, and, and we're going to kill him so that you can't listen to him. This is, that, again, that idea that, that hypocrisy can hinder people from coming to faith. And religious hypocrisy, it loves, the, it loves our system so much. It loves this way that we found to, to please God that we suddenly see grace, we see the key to knowledge in God's Word, and we won't even let anyone else hear it. We just pile up all these laws and people can't see it. They don't know what the key of knowledge is. We don't go in it. And, and, and the irony is that not only do we keep people out, but we don't even get in. Remember this main idea. Religious hypocrisy produces a spiritual blindness that will destroy us. These, these guys have no hope of, of being with God for eternity. This is a religion that will send them to hell. They think that they are religious. They think that there is light in them. But it is darkness. And it will lead them to eternal darkness. What a scary thing. It's scary to think that what we think is light could actually be darkness. So I guess that's the question. Are you trusting in religious practices to save you? Are you trusting in some sort of outward religion? And, and your heart is full of wickedness. You look clean on the outside. You, you, you're doing the right things. You're coming to church and you're being nice to people and you're, you're doing what you feel like God wants you to do. But inside, there's just wickedness. As Jesus says elsewhere, you're full of dead men's bones. We could be blind to what really matters to God that we're so focused on externals that we don't see what the justice and love for God. We can be blind to our pride. We can be blind to the uncleanness that's in us. That are, We really can't earn God's favor because we are dead. We can be blind to so many different things and, and not see that, that, that doing all these things doesn't make us acceptable before God. So what do we need? We need the key to knowledge, right? If you want to get in the kingdom, you need this key to knowledge, is what it says. They've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. What's the key to knowledge? I think the key to knowledge is faith. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. I think he's saying, you guys are so concerned about all these things that you do. I'm worried about your heart. Do you believe in me? And I see that in a few different places. Let's just think about the context. you remember the, the story of the, the unclean spirit that's cast out? This is in verses 24 through 26. So this, the unclean spirit's cast out and this man is morally neutral and, and the spirit comes back and, and, and corrupts him all over again. What needed to happen to that person? It needed to be changed from the inside out. He needed the Holy Spirit to come in and that would transform him. He needed to trust in God to be the one that would transform him. Uh, Not only that, but we think about this light. Be careful that the light in you is not darkness. But then in in verse 36, if then your whole body is full of light, inside, right? Your whole body is full of light, having no dark part. It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. If the light of the truth will come into us, the light of faith, the light of the word of God comes into us, it enlightens everything about us. 
Here's, here's how he says it to the, to the Pharisees in verse 41. But give as alms those things that are what? Within. And behold, everything is clean for you. You're missing it. You're focusing on the outside. But if you would be chained from the inside by the key of knowledge of faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God sprouting in you, then everything else will be clean. You're so concerned about the outside of the cup. And Jesus says, clean the inside. And the outside will will clean itself. That if the Spirit of God would come in, then everything else becomes clean. This is what he says. Give as alms. Give as... um, as things given to the poor, those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. He says, you don't need to worry about any of those other laws. If the Spirit is living within you, He will make everything else clean. Don't focus so much on the outside. Go to the inside. We get blinded by this and we start worrying so much about the outside. But, but God will make us clean on the inside and then it will flow out. And we won't have this greed and wickedness. Rather, rather it will be the, the presence of justice, love for others and, and love for God. How are we transformed? Because Jesus says, don't neglect these things. But you should do, you, what, what should happen is in verse, um, verse 42, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. But if we, if we would be filled with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, then it will overflow and it will cleanse the outside of the cup. If you can imagine maybe this cup that's filled with water and it's clean on the inside, and the Spirit of God, the Word of God, faith are there. It's not, it's not the things that we need to do. Because so, what this could turn into is, well, I need to clean the inside of the cup. So I'm going to work really hard to clean the inside of the cup. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that the Spirit of God, the light of the truth of God, would go into our hearts. And as if, it's as if the water fills up and overflows this cup and cleanses the outside. So you don't have to worry about cleaning the outside. If you fill the inside with clean water, if you allow the Spirit of God to transform you, if you put faith in God, then the water will overflow and it will deal with everything else. Don't focus so much on the outside. We get so wrapped up in it, and it ultimately leads to religious hypocrisy. And religious hypocrisy makes us blind. And that blindness will destroy us. But rather, be filled with the light of Jesus. Don't be those who who think that you have light, but in actuality it's darkness on the inside. But rather, be what it says in verse 36. Let your whole body be full of light, having no dark part in it. Let the Spirit of God, faith in God, love for His Word, hearing His Word, if we would allow that to dwell in us, then our whole body will be full of light, inside and out. Let the light of Jesus fill you with light. And when faith fills us, then the light of Jesus fills us. We are clean on the inside, and He will clean us on the outside as well. Let's take a moment of, of silence to reflect on God's Word. Let's think on... Let His Word pierce us where maybe we are acting as hypocrites. And let's just confess again, God, it's not what I do, it's what Jesus has done. That He has paid the price, He has died for me to give me new life. And that I continue to walk by faith. Having begun by faith, don't be perfected by works, but continue to trust that the Spirit from the inside out will cleanse us. Let's take the moment of silence and I'll close this in prayer. Father, we confess together that we are hardwired to fall into a religion of doing things to make you happy. 
But we like to look good on the outside. We like the praise of others. And we neglect the inside so often. We neglect love for others and justice. And we neglect love for you so that we might look good. Well, we pray that you would forgive us of that. That teach us the key of knowledge. Teach us how the light can spring in us. Teach us how the Spirit can live in us and produce fruit that otherwise we can't. Lord, we pray that you would change us from the inside out. That you would cleanse us on the inside. And then the outside and everything else would be clean. Lord, we put our, our trust in you alone to do this. We cannot do it on our own. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.